Hi folks, welcome to this week's edition of the Finance Hour. With Donald Trump having been in power for 18 months, are things worse than we expected? I'm joined today by John Riley, the Chief Investment Officer of Implemented Portfolios. John is a keen observer of US politics and the US economy. In today's show, we discuss his views on the US politics, economy and share markets around the world. Not only is it a fascinating discussion, but it gives insight into the thinking which goes into managing portfolios. In Ruben's rant, I talk about revelations at the Royal Commission of ANZ mis-selling superannuation. And my propeller head of the week is about a mindfulness app which I should use more often. Thanks for tuning in, and if you enjoy the show, please head over to our iTunes account and leave us a rate and review. Hi folks, welcome to the Finance Hour. You may be listening live on Jair or on our podcast. This is a show where we help make sense of the world of business and finance and hopefully help you make better decisions. My name's Ruben Zeller, I'm a financial planner. I've been doing this podcast for about 20 months or so. This is podcast number either 43 or 44. Uh, If you want to listen to any of the old ones, please head over to the Finance Hour iTunes account and they're all there. Or you can go to the JA website or my company website, adaptwealth.com.au. Now, of course, folks, a general advice warning, anything we say today uh, should not be done at home unless you get a bit of advice either from a lawyer, financial planner, accountant, or your mate next door when he comes over for a few beers. Okay, now the topic of this week's show is even more screwed than we thought. It's been 18 months since Donald Trump came into office. It was a surprising result. And what we're going to discuss today is where is the world's economy now and what impact has that had on markets? Uh, We have a finance hour favorite, John Riley, uh, who's the Chief Investment Officer at Implemented Portfolios. I'm going to introduce him in a couple of minutes. Um, But before we do that, it is time for Ruben's Rant. Ruben's Rant. Now, my rant this week, believe it or not, is about the Royal Commission. Now, what came out in the last couple of days is that ANZ Bank actually arranged for bank tellers to sell superannuation. Now, they did this under the guise of providing no advice. What they did was they did a A to Z review of the client's situation and then supposedly provided them with nil advice to switch their super out of what might have been a perfectly reasonable fund into, guess what, the ANZ fund. And would you believe they gathered $2.6 billion over this? And they did this during when the new financial rules, which is called FOFA, actually came in. And they basically relied on this exemption of giving general advice, but it was completely disingenuous because it really was personal advice. And they've got board papers from ANZ, which actually said that they realized that this was very high risk and it may lead to them losing their license. It is simply unbelievable action. They should have the book thrown at them. If there were other uh, financial planning groups that did this, they would lose their license. I really hope that they crack down very hard on them because it is an absolutely disingenuous, insane situation. Okay, well, that's Ruben's rant. Uh, We're going to have a very quick break, and then I will uh, introduce our guest, John Riley. Okay, folks, the topic of this week's show is even more screwed than we thought. 
It's been 18 months since Trump came, came into office, and where, where is the world economy and markets now? So we've got John Riley, who's been on the show before. John's a Chief Investment Officer at Implemented Portfolios. Uh, they're an investment management service which partners with financial advisors like myself to put together investment portfolios for clients which meet their objectives, both in terms of the return and also the risk that they're willing to take. And I'll put a disclaimer on that I've worked with implemented portfolios for the last seven and a half years. And John, it's great to have you in the studio. Thank you. You just came down from Sydney. Welcome to the show. Hi, Ruben. Good to be with you. Okay. I've got you now. <laughs> John, uh, I know you take a very keen interest in US politics. In fact, you do head over there some every now and then. Some would say a morbid fascination even. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know you head over there to do some fly fishing and all that sort of stuff, but I don't, I don't know if you do any work when you're over there. Uh, or just, uh... That, that's the principal reason for the trip. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, John, um, given your view, and you've, you've been an observer for quite a while, uh, both before and since Trump came in. So 18 months on uh, from Trump coming into office on January 20, 2017. Yep. Um, and it was a major surprise, obviously, a yep. shock, really. Yep. Uh, 18 months on, has it been as bad as we as you expected? And are we more screwed than we thought? From a, from a political point of view, I think it's been much worse than we expected. Uh, from an economic and financial markets perspective, no not yet, would be my caveat. Mm. So from a political point of view, should we start with that? Why? I mean, what what does politics actually matter if it doesn't have an effect on the economy? What, uh, what does it matter? Because I think it will in time. And we're really seeing, uh, you know, almost an unprecedented level of corruption out in the open, um, which is affecting uh, the vast bulk of the American population over there. So probably, you know, the signature legislative achievement of the Trump administration has mm. been to pass a trillion and a half dollar tax cut. Right. The vast bulk of which went to not just the top one, the top 0.1 of a percent and corporations. Yeah. And yeah. so it's this naked corruption that's out there. I read mm. just this week, there's a guy, Sheldon Adelson, who's a casino owner. Um, his benefit was $700 million, and immediately he put $30 million into the Speaker of the House's uh, political action mm. committee. So, mm. but, but that's so, I mean, when Trump came to power, he was a lot of it was about um, you know going against Hillary Clinton because she was representing the big end of town, and he said he was representing you know the, the blue collar workers. Yeah, right? and that so so what you're saying is that that's was an turned, absolute lie, right? Okay, <laughs> so that was an absolute lie, yeah, right? Absolutely. And it went okay, and, and obviously with these tax cuts that have done, it's all gone to the top end. Yeah. But if you understand the polls, read the polls, they're saying that he's still as popular amongst that base as he ever was. So how can that be the case? Within his base, he has a very high floor, but a very low ceiling. So he's going mm. to sit somewhere in the mid to high 30% approval um, mm. approval ratings. And really, you know, what we need to t turn the focus to now is the midterm elections in 2018 coming mm. up in November. Um, and so it'll be about turnout. And, mm. and whether the Democrats they have a better chance of retaking the House than they do the Senate. Mm -hmm. um, but they also need to overcome about a 7 or 8%. They need to win by about 7 or 8% mm. to realistically get close to taking the House because of the way gerrymandering of districts and voter mm. suppression acts and all sorts of things. So, so he's got that, you're saying that, that rusted in sort of 30%, yeah. regardless of what he does. Well, look, he, you know, regardless the, the, of what it, but, but 
I mean, the, that 30, the quote in the campaign yeah. was I could walk into the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot someone and my poll numbers wouldn't be affected. And I think right. he's right. He's <laughs> absolutely right about yeah. that. You know, there's nothing he can do that's going to change these people's mind. And, mm. you know, really what, what's probably most concerning is there's no longer an objective reality. There's no longer mm. truth. You know, it used to be fine to say we can all, we're all entitled to our own opinion, but mm. truth is truth. Literally this week we had the president's lawyer saying truth isn't truth. You know, <laughs> earlier we've had his counselors yeah. talk about alternative facts. Like, mm, that's mm. just ridiculous. Yeah. But it seems like, as you said, but people now get used to it. And I was having, um, you know, dinner with friends the other day. And, and now what you hear people saying is, yeah, you know, you know, Trump's not a good person, but he does good things. You hear that now quite a bit. Yeah, you do. Look, I think it, it's partisanship and parochialism. It's it's mm. red team versus blue team. Mm. And if I'm on the red team, no matter what he does, then I'm going to support it. Mm. Um, you know, most recently we've seen the tariff wars, which I know is you know something we've spoken about before mm. as well. There are people being directly impacted by that in terms of losing their jobs, having their employers mm. even even closed down. And is, is, say, that, is that is um, that people who are? exporting from the US because they're uh, because of the it's, it's that but it's broader than that as mm. well because there's all you know so, sorry let's just go back a second sure. the tariff rules just tell us explain to listeners sure. what what has actually so occurred there in, in, Donald Trump doesn't understand economics let's be clear about that <laughs> um, so the US runs a trade deficit which means they import more goods than they export yep. and he's consistently categorized that as theft which is just ridiculous he's you, you mm. know China is the big target, of course, um, and he seems to think that if there's a trade deficit, that that's being, you know, that's the hand in the piggy right. bank. Someone's stealing from that's us. That's how America's getting stuffed. He doesn't yeah. seem to be able to comprehend that you're mm. actually getting goods and services mm. in return. Yeah, and because you're the biggest consumer economy in the world. And they don't save enough, so they're mm. always going to have to import mm. capital. Mm. And the policies that they've put in place are going to make that worse. So no yeah. matter what he does, that trade deficit is every likelihood of actually widening. Mm, mm. So he's not actually going to be improving that. So okay, so he sees that as the fact that more money. That means effectively more money is going out and it's coming in. Is that is that what it is? Uh, look, more or less. Um, yeah, it's 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 a balance of payments you know, mm. in exchange for goods and services. Mm. Um, so so he sees that as a real problem and what's he actually been doing to try and solve that so the initial step was putting tariffs on imports of steel and aluminium yep and you're already starting to see that have an impact so businesses who manufacture and rely on the import of steel and aluminium yep. their prices have gone up yeah because america up, getting it in america their, inputs have gone up. Oh, course, yeah, their input yeah. costs have gone up yeah so when their input costs go up price goes up mm -hmm. and demand goes down mm -hmm. and that's why businesses have been laying off workers is that right? So that's actually happening? It's happening already, right now. Really? So the, the steel mm. and aluminium tariffs are the most mm. recent ones. Mm. Well, I guess what everybody's waiting for is Trump going to blink again. And mm. there's been a lot of people write about this concept of the Trump two-step, where he picks a big fight with, with some semblance in reality, but largely mm. based on sort of spurious allegations. Mm. And then, you know, I mean, the North Korea negotiations are the classic example. Mm. You know, the, the ridiculous tweeting about Little Rocket Man and Fire and Fury and all these sorts of things. Then yeah. he gets the photo op and suddenly they're best friends and he tweets yeah. on the way home, problem solved, it's all mm. good, which mm. is, you know, clearly ridiculous to mm. anyone who's observing what's going on. So yeah. we've seen the same sort of things play out in Europe. And then mm. you had um, the European Commission President Juncker visit Washington and all of a sudden they're in love again. Mm. The week before, Trump had talking about Europe, spoken about Europe as being a foe of the United yeah. States when he has the grip and grin press right. conference so he, he goes, it's he, all good he, now yeah so he just really you know reacts to his ego if his ego sort of says that's he's it. been the one that's made and a deal and, and I always think that you know with the whole Iran deal I mean as bad as it was I reckon he would have done it 
I reckon if it was his idea, well, it's what he's proposing he in North Korea. Mm. You know, what he got out of North Korea was nothing. Mm. What what he's proposing to do in North Korea looks exactly like what Obama yeah. achieved with the rest of the world mm. in Iran. Mm. You know, that's the nonsensical nature of it. Mm. Um, so to, I guess to bring it back to the political environment, mm. it's about, you know, my life is not as good as it used to be and it must be someone else's fault. So I need mm. to point fingers at somebody else, whether that's immigrants or, in this case, you know, particularly in relation not, to the, Right, but they're not pointing the finger at Trump. No. So, so, that, no. so it, it no, is his actions, but they're not. They're not. They're, he's not suffering politically because of it. Not within those very narrow confines we mm. spoke about before with his mm. base. Like he is historically unpopular across the whole electorate, mm. but there is that rusted on base, which you know it's it's hard to imagine what he would do, mm. what he would need to do to mm. lose some of those voters. Mm. I guess you know the other thing to keep in mind is it was a very close election. Yeah. You know, we're talking about less than 100,000 votes changing across three states mm. and Hillary's in the White House. Wow. So you don't need to shift too many of those or you just, you know, given it's non-compulsory voting over mm. there, just, you know, 100,000 people in those three states stay home yeah. and you've got a different result. Yeah. So, so so just staying on the political before we move to the mm. economics. So you've touched a little bit on some international relationships with uh, with. Korea, North so, Korea yeah, and the, the like. fear with China in particular yeah. is the yeah. big one right now. Mm. And because of that proximity to the November elections, mm. um, I fear he won't take yes for an answer. The Chinese have tried to give him an opportunity to sort of declare himself the victor and leave the battlefield. Mm. But I think he wants the fight. You know, mm. I, I think he wants to be seen to be the strong man. And, and that fight is really all around tariffs. Yeah. That's, that's yep. what it's around. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah. Well, then what about... Um, what a, I mean, so he's really, some people would argue that in that case, he's really just demonstrating his strength, right? Showing his strength and he's actually getting China in some, to some extent to bend to his will. What you, what you just said there is that they were willing to give him a victory. And some people would argue that that's, that's the strength of Trump. Yeah. That, 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 that he, there is something to that. <laughs> um, I think, you know, China has acknowledged Trying that. to negotiate with a completely unreasonable person. Sometimes oh, you find, you know, <laughs> I've yeah, seen that in business. Who's going to out-crazy each other, yeah. yeah, you know. I mean, I remember last year I was giving a client presentation when it was going to be nuclear war on the Korean Peninsula. Mm. And I think, and I said to an, an audience question, I think I've actually got a better understanding of how Kim Jong-un thinks mm. than I do Donald Trump. Yeah. Um, you can understand his survival instincts. Mm. Um, so, you know, it's it's very difficult to understand what he's going to do next. Yeah. So what about, uh, I mean, the other issue is, you know, with his allies as well, with his European allies and and the way he's, we even had that issue with uh, with Turnbull, you know, with the... Uh, the phone call. Yeah, with the phone call. But, yeah, you know, that was probably relatively minor to what... You know how he's been treating the Canadian prime ministers and the and the Europeans. Oh, so I was um, in the states when that mm, happened, and that with was, Canada. Yeah. So what? You know? So just. So that was the G20. Yeah. And Trump, they they'd all agreed to sign onto the communique post the post the conference, mm. and just uh, Trump was on the plane heading to Singapore for mm-hmm. the North Korean summit. Uh, Trudeau gave a press conference where he said, you know, Canadians are very happy and friendly people, but, mm. you know, we won't be pushed around. Mm-hmm. And this is where you get into how, how extreme the rhetoric becomes and this cult of personality. And I use mm. that word. Mm. Um, that was actually a word used by the, the Republican chair of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, mm. the cult of Trump. You know, he's, he's, several of his key advisors spoke about a special place in hell being reserved for Justin Trudeau because mm. he went against Donald Trump by this very benign statement. Mm. So to see him go from that and this ridiculous blow up mm. to fly straight to Singapore and put his arm around Kim Jong-un, mm. it's really hard to fathom yeah. what's going on there. But does that, 
Did, I mean, do we see any real long-term implications of him, you know, spitting in the face of the Canadians, spitting in the face of the Europeans? I mean, I mean, there's just such. At the end of the day, there's such natural kind yeah, of Western think, allies. Can can you ever unknown. really ruin it? Right now, I think it's a great unknown. Um, he, he is certainly through the early days of his administration under the leadership of Rex Tillerson at the State Department is a shadow of it for myself. Mm. Um, and it's not the high profile jobs. It's the it's the middle tier stuff, which is the, you know, the, the gears and the cogs of, of international diplomacy where mm. they've just been gutted. The State Department's a shadow of it for myself. Mm. So when you lose career diplomats with decades of experience, you can't just click your fingers and replace mm. those again. Mm. So that's... Like I say, I think it's a great unknown, but there is the potential for, um, you know, to, for there to be lasting consequences mm. to whether it's two years, four years, eight years under mm. Donald Trump. Mm. Okay, so that's the political side. Uh, I want to talk both about um, the economics. What, probably sorry, one more before yep. we do move on there, yep. and, it's, and it's topical because it's just happened overnight. Yeah. So you've just seen Paul Manafort, who was his uh, campaign chair, yeah, and Michael Cohen, who was his personal lawyer. Uh, both either uh, either um, found guilty or plead guilty. Mm. Um, in the case of Cohen, to the, the critical one there is to campaign finance violations, mm. which relate to the payments to the two women that he supposedly mm-hmm. had extramarital affairs with. Yeah, and that's the one where he's actually said explicitly now, "I did it in conjunction with the candidate." And wow. so because that's a but, pain- but was that using political money? So, so what the issue is, if, it, if you spend money with the intent of influencing the outcome of an election, it needs mm. to be declared. Mm. So it's not where the money came from, but it's the lack of declaration. Um, and then there's tax consequences and fraud consequences for, for Cohen and, and, and for Manafort as well with mm. tens of millions of dollars in offshore accounts. Mm. So that, you know, when, when you keep poking Trump like this with people, you know, these sorts of outcomes, really, again, hard to understand what the mm. implications might be and how mm. he's going to act out. Mm. Do you actually think there's a because till now you know whenever allegations have come out he's just denied them and just well, pushed on. Again, I mean, ha, ha, you know, how difficult is it though to you know impeach a president or to really hard? Yeah, really hard. So um, you need to you need uh, the, the, the needs to be passed in the house and mm. and then and so Clinton's the most recent example mm. of course. And what he actually got you know what he actually got impeached for or the charges of impeachment were around lying, again, about an extramarital relationship. Right. Um, and it didn't get through the Senate, so you need a two-thirds majority yeah. in the Senate. Yeah. Um, so it's very hard to see under the current structure that, mm. that you know, the Senate would sign off on it. Yeah. You've got to go back to the kind of Nixon situation where they say, you know, you're terminal to us and you're going to affect our, mm. our election mm. outcomes. It's time to go. Mm. Um, other than that, you're into, you know, the, where this potentially escalates is if Democrats take the House or the Senate. Um, mm. And that the critical piece there is that they will then assume the chairmanship of the key investigator, investigatory committees. Mm. So House and Senate Judiciary, House and Senate Intelligence, they will have subpoena powers. They can say, show me your tax returns. Yeah. So there's been really, you know, there was a good article written a little while ago saying, are we down to one branch of government? Mm. And that was not the way the founders of America designed it. So the Republicans in the House in particular have effectively exercised no oversight of the mm. executive branch whatsoever. Mm. And he's been allowed to get away with it. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on to the economic, because as you said, uh, economically it doesn't look like it's panned out that badly. No. Uh, you know, Yet. The, the, <laughs> the tax cuts which you did gave a, a, a big boost, yep. in a way, to, the, to those big companies, which I don't know whether or not you see that had a flow on for employment and all, all that sort of thing. 
Um, but yeah, the economy in the US, you know, interest rates are potentially on the way up because the economy is doing well. Yeah. I mean, bold objective measures, doesn't it look like the economy is going well? And could you say he's managed that well? Um, I would say the economy is doing well and is continuing to do well. So when you look at some of those key measures, there was a lot of a lot of headlines around the 4.1% GDP print for the most recent quarter. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't look out of trend with what we've seen for the last, you know, ten years since the since the recovery up post two thousand and eight nine. Yep. Jobs numbers are actually moderating a bit, which you'd expect because you've got an unemployment rate below four percent now. Mm. Um, the big lie around the tax cuts was, you know, again, it's been proven to be a lie time and time again for the last forty years, is that it was going to trickle down and into wages, mm. and it's not happening. Mm. Um, trickle down into wages, people getting paid more. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and greater investment and more mm. jobs mm. and well, it's gone into dividends and buybacks for, mm. the, for the most mm. part. Yeah. So it's just gone to make the shareholders and the, and yep. the executives... And the owners of capital the executives rather than richer. labor have right. been the, by far and away the, the, the majority beneficiaries right. of but the But it hasn't system. necessarily had a detrimental effect, has it? Well, this is where the not yet comes mm. in. And so, you know, this is the... The, the really astonishing hypocrisy of what you know the the people the Republicans who passed this legislation who for eight years refused to fund anything that mm. wasn't offset by spending cuts. Yeah, I'm talking disaster relief funding packages for tropical cyclone mm. Sandy mm. And, and all sorts of things. No, no, no. If it adds refused. to the deficit, you've got to find yeah. cuts. Yeah. Now they've happily gone and added a trillion and a half dollars, a trillion and a half dollars mm. to the deficit to feed their you know their donors. Wow. Um, and they're literally there there were well, one guy in New York, Chris Collins, who's actually now just been arrested for insider trading, so mm. that gives you an idea of the sort of person we're talking about. He openly said in an interview, My donors have told me if you don't pass these tax cuts, my wallet's shut. So really? we know exactly what they were doing it for and wow. they did it. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, so you, when you say not yet, you're saying it'll add to the. Um, so the trend growth in all those key metrics, mm. economic growth, unemployment, those sort of things, mm. is fine. And mm. you know, there's, I think there's a lot of truth to the saying that presidents get too much credit in good times. Oh, I and, definitely and too believe much, that. Yeah, and, and, I, and I definitely. Be, I mean, I believe that's the case here as well. You know, when people sort of say, yeah. "Oh, you know, how it managed the economy so well." I mean, there's economic cycles that happen, and economic yeah. cycles happen regardless Absolutely. of. Absolutely, and it know, was a really the, good time to have a lot of banks and miners. Exactly. And yeah. Howard didn't, you know, yeah. he didn't have to deal with the GFC. Yeah, you know, know, Kevin Rudd did. Yep. So, and I, look, yeah. you know, to some extent, Howard and I, I think, you know, we were served quite well by um, Howard and Costello. And prior to that, there were also a lot of key economic reforms put in mm. place by Hawke and Keating as well. Right. So you want to be bipartisan right. about those sorts of things yeah. as well. The, yeah. It, it's in, back to the US. It's when is the problem going to hit? And yeah. it's. You've had, again, for the last sort of 10 years post the crisis, you've had the Fed, the Federal Reserve, the central mm. bank over there pulling in the opposite direction to the legislative branch. Right. So, so coming out of 08 when the crisis was, mm. um, you know, there was, well, I referred to it at the time as this grand social experiment. Mm. You know, you needed, you, you want, it's, it's Keynesian economics, which is to say you want, um, um, fiscal policy to uh, counteract the underlying economic cycle. Mm. So when times are bad, yeah, governments so you won't, should spend, spend money. Yep. And when times are good, yep. governments should save a bit more. Right. And so because I think it's this naked, naked partisanship again, because there's a Democrat in the White House, no, 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 we don't want you to be successful at mm. all. And again, they're quite open about it. You know, mm. Mitch McConnell, the leader of the Senate, said our number one priority is to make sure Obama's a one-term president. Mm. Mm. Now so they gonna, wouldn't let him spend, you're saying, no, to, to boost the economy. It. 
even the initial relief package right in the teeth of the crisis mm. when Bush was, you know, it, it was, yeah, it was it Bush's was right legislation when it was, to start. It was right when it was changing over, oh, wasn't it? And it was, you know, it's hard to remember just how critical those moments were mm. 10 years later. Mm. And now you've got Republican in the White House, they're happy to spend, which mm. is exactly the wrong time to be doing it. Mm. Now, you know, and... With, you know, so, so at some point, so what you're saying is the the U.S. government's just taking on more debt. At some point, that's going to come home to roost. And yeah. I mean, they say the same thing in Australia as well. The, uh, in Australia, it's different because it's more about the household sector than the mm. government sector. Mm. In, in the U.S., it's going to be about interest rates. Mm. And that ties us back into the tariff wars again. Mm. So tariff wars are inflationary. Mm. And because they add to prices, they increase yeah. prices. So, so, so basically, what you're saying is because yeah, they put tariffs, it costs more to import things, yep. and, and it's a tax on the consumer. Yeah, yep. prices go up, yep. which means the central bank is going to have to raise rates more quickly than mm. they otherwise might mm. have had to do. Yeah, and that's then to bring put prices pressure. down. Yeah, yeah, yep. and that'll put pressure on the overall economy. Yeah. Correct. When they um when they increase rates. Yeah. But it looks like just on those interest rates, I mean it looks like interest rates are are, are like on the upward trend in America, don't in they? In America they are. There's been a few moves already. Mm. Um we will have one more, I think it's almost guaranteed in September from the Fed. There's mm. some debate about whether there'll be a fourth move in mm. twenty eighteen or not. Yeah. But it's a very slow, well telegraphed mm. increase in mm. rates. So, so no one's getting surprised by right. this. So what you seem to be suggesting is what's gone well in the economy was just largely because of the economic cycle yeah. and, and, and you don't you don't give any credit to Trump at all uh, I don't, <laughs> don't want to be that definitive because um, I don't want to yeah uh, yeah it's very it's, little it's hard to think of a, you know a particular policy um, mm. that that has had an, an, a noted pol- you know mm. economic impact outside mm. of w- what would have happened anyway yeah but because America is such a massive economy itself and I listen to um, you know different financial planners sort of podcasts yep. you know over in the states and it's just uh, amazing when I think of just my industry mm. and my profession and the sheer size of it over there yeah. as compared to here you know here we've got like a decent sized firm is like you know fifteen or twenty advisors. Yeah. Right, that's that's a really big firm yeah. over there. You know, their biggest are like you know three thousand advisors or something like that. You know, it's just the sheer scale of the economy itself. There, yeah. Uh, you know, does that mean that they can just be sort of so, so self sustaining over there? It's yeah. not unusual to talk to advisors yeah. whose firm is managing two, three, four, five billion dollars. Yeah. Yeah, which is beyond you know almost anything I can think and of in the Australian. And there's probably lots of them. As there well. is. Yeah, exactly. yeah, there's lots of there's them. There's a couple of thousand people go to the conference I go to regularly, and it's those yeah. sorts of advisors that are, yeah. that are attending that one. Yeah. So just the sheer sort of size of the market there, I don't know, and the sheer um, power of of the consumer of having so many people. I mean, does that sort of help? help shield their economies compared to other economies or is it just the bigger you are the harder you fall um (laughs) i think it's you know it's a multi-decade thing and it goes to something we touched on before which is Mm. this division of economic growth between Mm. labor and capital Mm. and it's overwhelmingly been in favor of capital so can you explain exactly what that means yeah so um labor is the workforce capital is you know investments and 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 infrastructure and equipment and when you get economic growth um well probably the best there's there's a there's a chart on it, which obviously we can't see on air at the moment, yeah. but you've had productivity gains for decades, but no wages gains. Mm. Um, and so that, means that, the, that effectively means that the owners of the, they're of the company, most, they're, they're most keeping most of the growth for themselves. And, 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 but the labor market's not... Yeah, you know, yeah. You know minimum wage is seven bucks over there yeah. in a lot wow. of states. Um, I pay my kids 
thirty bucks an hour to do the edit this podcast. You're getting four times the minimum yeah. wage. Yeah, it's it's crazy. You know, it's hard to imagine that that still exists in the most you know developed nation wow. in the world. Um, and it's been a multi-decade thing. Mm. Um, and we tie in some of the sort of political aspects of it again. So the Trump administration is now trying to seat Michael um, Judge Kavanaugh in on the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he is an arch conservative. Mm. Um, I'll leave the act of, pardon the expression, political bastardry that Mitch McConnell perp- uh, perpetrated on uh, on Barack Obama, who refused to even interview his candidate uh, well over a year out from from Obama's mm. uh, term. Um, this guy has a proven track record of favouring corporations over people. And right. there's been a number of decisions lately which are going to serve to weaken unionisation and therefore mm. labour representation, mm. collective bargaining, mm. uh, these sorts of things. So the, the worker doesn't really have a very strong voice. And this is the inequality that everyone talks about. Mm. Um, you know, those at the top, those in San Francisco and New York are doing really, really well. Mm. But, you know, when I go to the States, because of the, the hiking and fishing and those sorts of things you mentioned in the intro, mm. I get to see lots of other parts other mm. than New York and, and, and San Fran and LA. Mm. Um, and there's some dire poverty over there. You know, mm. there's no doubt about it. I was in the Appalachians in, mm. um, in, in my trip this year. And there's, you know, there's, there's some pretty, pretty ordinary And their social towns. security system over there is nowhere near as good as no. what ours is well, here. Well, you know, and that's... Is that going to be able to be continued to fund it is, I guess, the great question. What, in that Australia, you're saying? Or? No, in the US. You know, so their social security system, Medicare and Medicaid in particular, mm. but also the Social Security Trust. Um, so the social Security, which is like the equivalent of the age pension or the yeah. unemployment benefits. Yeah. And what are they like over there? How do they compare to what we've got here? Uh, the actual levels, I'm not certain of. To yeah. Be honest, mate. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay. So let's. Um, we've talked about the political. We've talked about the economic. Yeah. Let's talk about the um, the markets a bit mm. because I mean we talk about this a bit and people often expect there to be a direct link between economics and share markets. Yeah. The US share market has has been powering along. Uh, right. Fresh record for the S&P 500 overnight. Right. So it's really been powering along, yeah. and that's happening at the same time, as you say, that the economy is, you know, for whatever reason, it's, uh, it's, if it's just cyclical, is also going well. Are, are, strong, are, they, are those uh, two things related? Uh, yeah, in time frames are really important in these sorts of discussions. Mm. In time, yes. Um, mm. We we look at a couple of different ways about how we forecast earnings growth mm. for companies. And we don't do it at an individual company level. We do mm. it at a broad index like the whole yeah. of the S&P 500. Yeah. If economies are growing at around their trend growth rate, then you mm. can kind of get nominal GDP, so GDP plus inflation, and diluted a bit because of the they issue more capital to grow, mm. and that'll give you a reasonable approximation. But in these sorts of environments, it's more about the valuations. Mm. And on that basis, we think, we don't know when, in, certainly in terms of a year or two or even three, but we think the US is likely to give lousy returns with a long-term view. Mm. I'm, sort, mm. I'm talking sort of 10 years. Right, because they've run so hard. Their the valuations are really high. Mm. Um, and I and so what... So, so Let's talk about that because yep. the last few years it's just powered and powered away. Yeah. Right. What's been the driver? Is it just like? Is it look like it's just this bubble, or is it? Because I wouldn't call it a bubble yet. No. Mm, or is it because companies are 
as you say, they've had tax cuts. They're making more profits. There's, there's, so so shareholders are making more money. Things, and I'll reference that same sort of 10-year period again, mm. post, post, you know, 2008-9 financial crisis. I mm. think coming out of that immediately, um, there was a lot of impetus and, and to, to screw every um, efficiency gain they could. Mm. Um, and, you know, they, did, they, they laid off a few workers, but right. they didn't get a lot of wage increases through. But there was a cost, cost savings, efficiency gains. Mm. Um, you then got into the situation where... It's interesting, sorry, just on that. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. You, you, and, I, and I remember sort of noticing this in the GFC that, you know, everyone sort of used it as an excuse or whatever to cut a whole lot of costs out. So yeah. you'd have the wealthiest people, billionaires, saying, yeah. oh, we're having a terrible time, you yeah. know, we've got to cut all these costs. Hey, guess what? They're still <laughs> living in their $20 million mansions. They're still driving their private jets, but yeah. everyone... I'll only so, have the gardener once a week. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there are people, I think that had, you know, at the very wealthy and still had a pretty good GFC. Yeah. <laughs> but they used it as a as a reason to yeah. cut a huge amount of costs. Yeah. And, you know, it's the top end of town that was effectively bailed out yeah. through the financial institutions in particular. Right. You know, there weren't a lot of $250,000 mortgages that were that were bailed out. Right. It was the funding of the big banks. It's, you know, that that's right. the hole that was shored up by the emergency relief measures. Right. So that lasted for a while, maybe a year or two. Mm. And then you got into this situation where they started buying back their own shares. Mm. And so if you think about that, you know, a company generates a certain amount of profits. Mm-hmm. And let's say it's, you know, $100 of profits and they've got 100 shares on issue. Yeah. We talk about earnings per share. So $1 yep. of profit. Uh, for every every share they have on issue, mm. if I if I if I don't grow my profits at all, mm. but I buy back some of my shares, so I yeah. shrink the number of shares I've got mm. on issue, then I've grown my earnings per share without mm. growing my business at all. Right, and then you can get into a philosophical debate: is that a good thing or a bad thing? Mm. From from a you know from a a non emotional investment manager's point of view, that's fine. You know, mm. I'm con- I'm concerned about the per share metric because that's what you know yeah. my investors are going to receive. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of you know pushed into record territory, and just mm. as it looked as it was starting to peter out, you mm. get these massive tax cuts. Mm. You get things like the repatriation of offshore profits at, at you know mm. one-off discount rates. So mm. they've got this big pile of cash. Mm. What do I do with it? Oh, I'll buy back some more of my shares, right. pay some dividends, and that and that and that's pushed share prices. Yeah. Up. Um, mm. And and so from a valuation point of view, what you can observe over long periods of time is that when you've got really low interest rates, mm. and it's not that long ago we had zero mm. in, in the US let's, mm. let's remember that so think about if you're an asset allocator you're trying to make a decision in your portfolio about do I buy bonds or do I buy shares mm. or cash if my defensive investments are paying effectively nothing yeah well it's the old thing you know you get no, you're getting nothing in the bank so you may as well go and buy that property that's going to give you a 2% rental yield because yep. you get nothing in the bank. I mean, you hear that yeah, all the time. And so there's I was at a property auction in the city just out of interest the other day. And, you know, I must have heard about 10 people say that. Oh, yeah, it's a low lower income you're getting, but what are you getting in the bank? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's obviously a completely different proposition, of course. Um, so that's, you know... Um, I've forgotten what I was going to say. Yes, you're saying it's always it's always a risk uh, when interest rates are low. Yeah, so low interest rates, you've got this weight of money that's buying risky assets. Yeah. And it starts with things like real estate and infrastructure yeah. and higher dividend stocks. But yeah. the money keeps pouring in. The more money that goes into it, the higher the prices go. Yeah. And now we're starting to see that unwind because we've mm. got the rates going up, albeit slowly. Mm. Um, but the valuations are still historically quite high. Mm. Now, what do they come back to? What do they mean revert to over mm. time? I mm. don't know. Uh, like, and once again, is it like a big fall or is it just basically have 10 years of 
no growth. Yeah, it's yeah. hard to know. You know, it's and that may know. happen in the in the property market here. Yeah. You know, people say, "Oh, is it you know, property markets right now is going to crash?" Well, it may or may not crash, but it may it may just have really no growth for a long time. That That's can been the pattern in Australian yeah. property for sure. Yeah. You know, you don't see, and it's hard to imagine the kind of catalyst that would cause it to collapse. Yeah. You know, we've just seen um, the chairman of APRA come out and give a speech where he said the bulk of the heavy lifting around tightening mortgage lending standards mm. has been done. Yeah. We've seen Melbourne come off. We've seen Sydney come mm. off a bit more. Mm. Uh, Perth and Darwin are still problematic. Hobart's yeah. powering ahead. Yeah. But, you know, they're, they're, they're low single digits for the most part. Part, yeah, haven't run 30 40 yeah. percent over the last few years, so yeah. Well, the question is, is you know, I mean, household what debt triggers the collapse. Well, household debt is still at a crazy high. Last last uh week, the show was called up to our eyeballs in debt, yeah. I did see that. <laughs> <laughs> so, household debt is, is really, really high. I'll tell you one uh, interesting thing which I haven't done enough work on yet to make give you a definitive answer, but. Australia's property market is, I think, different to a lot of other developed markets. In in other markets, there is a much bigger corporate presence in the residential property Correct. market. Correct. Institutions actually so own residential if, property. I wonder if, you know, household debt to income, uh, and particularly property, mm, mm. Uh, residential housing debt to mm. income, GDP, whatever your denominator is, I wonder if we're counting all of our debt, and in other markets they're not, mm. because it sits on corporate balance sheets rather yeah, than Yeah, well, it is interesting. Uh, that's always been an interesting thing, isn't it, that... That that institutions, fund managers, yeah, yeah. or whatever, don't buy and hold residential property in Australia. In Australia no, they don't, but overseas they do, yeah, don't they? Yeah. Like, like I say, in, it's a new. I've only just come across that. In the yeah, I know in the UK they do. I actually heard of um, people that were starting a fund mm. that invests in residential property in the UK. Yep, and 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 they're sort of you know they can get in these apartments sort of seven eight percent yield. Yeah. Like, and you look at that compared to what we get here. It's just, it's just, yeah. it, it's, it's just amazing that it's such a different yeah. dynamic. Yeah, and, and um, Europe's got a di- fundamentally different culture mm. as well. A lot of people rent their whole lives mm. over there and are happy to do so. Yeah, yeah. and they also are able to get long-term rentals. Yeah, I mean, and here, much greater rights yeah. too. Yeah, 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 as a renter here, you can, you know, like you've been turfed out on a month. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's yeah. um, so it's really difficult. Okay, so what you're saying is overall, yes, the economy and the share market's gone in the right direction, but you think it's it's getting to a position where it's where it's very highly valued. What it, it, the problem? It has been for a while. Yeah. And and how much you know? One of the things I often say is you know I don't know for how long it continues to get more expensive mm. before it eventually corrects. Right. Right. Um, that's the thing that's really hard you, to yeah, time. And, you and never what's know the what catalyst the for that going to be? You right. know. So, Property market is, by its nature, uh, more steady yeah. versus equity markets, obviously, which trade yeah. minute to minute, day to day. Yeah. Um, so what we try, when we're running portfolios, the risk we're trying to defend against mm. is overvaluation risk. Yeah. You can't you can't anticipate, and you know whether it's nuclear war last year, trade wars mm. this year, it's really hard to try and game that out and understand mm. what the, what the outcome is going to be in a month's time. So you know you need to have a disciplined and transparent process and be able mm. to communicate around that and what you're thinking and. and not yeah. overreact in the yeah. short term. So let's then compare that. I mean, we've largely been focusing on America. We talked about the, what about the Australian share market mm. in terms of where you see it overall valued on an absolute basis, on or you know, or compared to the US. The valuation for us um, in in the Aussie broad market is about where we think it should be long term. So yeah. neither cheap nor expensive. Yeah. Um, the interesting characteristic over the last twelve months or so has been. 
Um, and one of the things that we try and be active on in terms of managing the Australian equities part of a portfolio is really thinking about it in kind of three buckets in terms of sectors, mm. banks, miners, everything else, mm. industrials, mm. Um, but also large companies, medium companies and small companies. Yeah. And the mids and smalls have actually done quite well yeah. over the last 12 months while the yeah. banks have been under pressure. The banks have been horrible. A la your rant. Yeah, yeah. And probably is there more to come there? Uh, well, who knows? You know, I mean, you'd be a, a brave man to say that's the last of the headlines we'll see. Well, you don't know, but I mean, sometimes with the banks, what can happen is is because it, you know, and, and I speak to you know, I know another person in your investment committee, Tim Farrelly, yeah, and his sort of thesis on the banks has been, yeah, there might be a time where there's big write-offs or there's big you know things that go wrong, and so they'll have one year where they write off a billion dollars or profit or whatever. Yeah, well, Combank just copped their seven hundred million dollar fine on the right. track. Yep. And they cope, but and yeah. and then then the next year they move on. I mean, you saw same thing with Wes Farmers. They went over to the UK, yeah. spent a up. billion dollars on. Yep. Them, well, the share price went up. So the banks index mm. dominated by the big four, of course, yeah. but with a few others thrown in there. Eleven percent per annum for the last two years. Yeah, you know, and yeah, you, know, you can pick out a twelve month period in that two years mm. where it's lousy. Of course. But over two years, it's done 11%. Over yeah. 10 years, it's done 13% per annum. Is that right? Yeah. Mm. You know, and so think about the components of your return, mm. the income plus the franking credits is mm. such a critical part. Yeah. You know, and when people talk about funding costs and all these sorts of things, the banks absorbed it. They're going kind to of pay 7 8% income, and mm. that looks really attractive. So mm. you don't need a lot of growth mm. to get a, you know, double-digit return. Right, unless there's some massive structural change that comes out of the Royal Commission. And, and I, I mean, yeah, you know. I mean, they're too big and too powerful, I think, to, mm. s- to contemplate that sort of mm. break-up scenario. I mean, the mm. banks are kind of doing it themselves already by, by spinning off their wealth management yeah. divisions. Um, it, it hasn't been... It's been the wealth management, the superannuation, the life mm. insurance, the cross-selling, the sorts of yeah. things you were talking about yeah. as well, rather than the pure banking function, right. um, which is where the big problems have been. Yeah, yeah there were some issues around, um, you know, what are your living expenses and yeah. you know, how definitive well, do you want to be on that? I agree. I reckon what's going to happen with the banks is they're just going to go back to the main bread and butter stuff, yep. right? Yep. Yeah, they, you know, they, they payout they, ratios are yeah. being maintained. They typically um, go, they do all these other things, they buy financial funds management businesses they stuff it up yeah. they go over to the uk they go over to asia they stuff it up yeah where they make money is you know their bread and butter loans yeah. and you know and probably a huge amount of money on you know credit card and business debt and you know that really high margin stuff yeah yeah i agree so that's the banks but you're saying that, but the rest of the um the rest of the so you've got banks resources we know the bhp and rio so yeah, yeah just talk a little bit about the rest what what is that Encapsulate. Uh, so it's it's everything else. So mm. industrials uh, for the most part, and, mm. and Australia is still a relatively small market. So mm. there's ten or eleven broad sectors when you look at any market around the world. So that's things like consumer discretionary, consumer yep. staples, information technology, mm. healthcare, those sorts of things. So you know a couple of those sectors aren't well represented in the mm. Australian market. Um, there's a couple of standouts like healthcare. You've got CSL and Cochlear and these sorts of things. So yeah. we tend to look at the broader market there. Yeah. Um, and as I mentioned before, um, the, the the more effective moves for us over the last two years have not been across sectors. Mm. So we've largely stayed out of um, a particular overweight in resources. Mm. Um, I think a few people have been surprised by the rebound in that sector and yeah. how quickly it came. Um, particularly in terms of the prices for our key commodities like mm. coal and iron ore, mm. in terms of trade, 
which is the ratio of export prices to import prices, mm. has remained as as the, the RBA predicted at a permanently higher plateau for now. Yeah. Um, but the bigger difference has been medium and smaller size companies because the, the top end, the top fifty, is just dominated by the big four banks. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we we just want to move on just briefly. Then I mean, we've talked about you know Australian shares, US shares, and the like. Can you just talk very briefly about you know the conservative investments? So the yeah, the fixed interest, I don't know, term deposit. Yeah. Just, you know, just a stable, low-income So the starting point there is RBA cash, mm. cash rate set by the Reserve Bank. Yeah, which is 1.5%. 1.5%. Been there for a couple of years. Yeah. Probably be there for another year or so. Be a very gradual increase after that. And then everything else kind of prices off that. Yeah. Um, it's To be honest, it's the number, it's the top of the agenda when we get together as an investment committee. And mm. this debate exists in investment circles about the lower for longer regime mm. or not. In Australia, it seems clear that is the case. Mm. Um, Interest rates will stay low for yeah. a long time. And in, in investment markets, we often more focus on the 10-year bond yield, government yeah. bond yield. Mm. And so in Australia now, that's below 2.6 again. Mm. So give money to the government for 10 years, they'll give you 2.6% per annum. Yeah. It gets, gets as high as 2.8, 2.9, and then mm. comes back again. Mm. Um, so that's, you know, I think a key piece that people need to be aware of. Um, term deposits aren't paying 6% anymore. The, the, no. You know, the, the rate, even out as half, far 2. as five 7%. years, is, is twos. Maybe. Yeah. Oh, you Mid get high twos. threes, maybe. There's a few specials, a few, yeah. yeah. The yeah. number I use um, is 28 Mm, mm. For, for five-year for TDs the, for the as a risk-free reference. Mm. So that's, again, a really important concept mm. about um, what can I get without taking any risk mm. in my portfolio? And then if I am going to take risk, mm. how much compensation am but I going to But what about get getting... I mean, if we talk about sort of term deposits and those government bonds, I mean, they're absolutely guaranteed. Yeah. But what about things going up maybe a little bit more risky, maybe lending money to, to you know, companies with, with corporate yeah. company bonds or with... Or with you know bank hybrids and that sort of thing. Um, investment grade corporate bonds are paying about a percent higher than that, mm. so sort of mid mid to high ish three percent. Yeah. Um, and we're using things called exchange traded funds in the portfolio, so you yeah. get a lot of diversification across a whole range of issuers. Yeah. Um, be careful there; you want Australian dollar stuff, so you mm. haven't got a currency risk in there as well, mm. or either something that hedges that currency risk for you. Yeah. And then we also, as you know, have been you know investors for a long time of these preference securities issued mm. by the big four banks, mm. and we do count that as a defensive investment because mm. we're very very confident that either of the any of the big four banks will give you your hundred bucks face value back yep. when these things mature. Yeah. So right now you can get about five and a half percent. Okay. That. So that's yeah. So as you say, if that's that you'll need to out, you know there'll be some wobbles up and down in yeah. the price. Yeah. So in, you might have a, a twelve a much month. Band. You might have a twelve month term where they you know the, they return two percent. Yeah. And you know yeah. just ignore it and pick up your five five and a half percent income. income. Yeah. But it's a capital that's not completely yeah. guaranteed. Okay. Well, John, we're coming to the end, but I always ask my guests for their three top tips and given that you're in the investment management game i'm going to ask you uh in the course of 90 seconds your three top tips uh for putting together investment portfolio sure so the first one i thought of our business is about partnering with people like you and financial advisors and there's as much value that you'll add by being a good counselor to your clients Mm. and having them avoid the sorts of behavior that leads to bad portfolio outcomes so people feel better about buying something when it's gone up and Mm. they want to sell something when it's gone down yeah invariably we should do the opposite that's right that would be number one 
Um, number two would be, you know, following on from the discussion we just had, make sure your defensive assets are going to be defensive mm. when you need them to be defensive. Mm. You know, that's where people got into trouble last time. Don't the, start lending money to developers. And well, you know, so the you know the biggest impact in the listed property trusts, you know, that fell eighty percent from from peak to trough around two thousand seven, eight, nine. People thought they were just buying boring mm. rent collectors, but they were overgeared. They were developing, and that you know eighty percent loss on something you thought was defensive. That's really hard to come back Mm -hmm. from. Mm -hmm. Number three. Uh, And the last one I would say is just be patient. Mm. Follow your own objectives. Sit down with your advisor. Agree on your plan. Don't worry about what you made at the barbecue says Mm. and the hot stock or Bitcoin or whatever else you're talking about. There's a saying I really like, which was a successful of investing is about everyone agreeing with you eventually. <laughs> okay. All right, John. Well, look, thank you very much for coming in today. It's always My great pleasure. to have you on the show, and we'll certainly uh, do that again, either on the phone or face-to-face. Love to. Love uh, to. But it's been, a, it's been a fun chat. Thanks, Ruben. Okay. Uh, now, th- we're getting towards the end of the show, but it is now time for my Propeller Head of the Week. Propeller Head of the Week. Now, the Propeller Head of the Week this week is about meditation. We all have heard about the absolute fantastic benefits of meditation on stress levels, on ability to sleep, on your uh, effectiveness at work. Uh, There's no question, all the science says that it helps a lot, but it can be difficult to find the time and the effort to do it. So one application which I've got on on my iPhone is called the Smiling Mind application. Smiling Mind, it's uh, it's a government-funded organization, and they've got on that app a whole lot of different meditations that you can do. I've got to admit, I've go through times where I'm doing them a lot, try and do it before bed, and when I do it, it certainly makes my sleep a lot better. I do go through times where I'm not doing it as much, but get the app on your phone, and then you're more likely to do it. Definitely have a go at it. The, the benefits are completely there. Okay, well, thanks very much for listening. As I said, if you've enjoyed the show, please head over to the Finance Hour iTunes account and leave us a rate and review. That'll just mean that we can uh, access more listeners so who can benefit from our fantastic information. So that's all for today, and we will see you again next week.